Hello, and welcome to Building Your T-Shirt Empire. My name's Cole, and this is Gavin. Gavin, say hello to the people. What's up, people? It's Gavin here, founder of SEPS. And with us today is Rich Apolium. Rich, tell us a little bit about yourself and what you do with Grimco. Well, currently for Grimco, I am in outside sales, which basically means I go around to a whole bunch of uh, customer shops in Southern California. And I do have as part of my territory, all of Southern California. And that's a lot of printers. So I, tell us like a little bit about like what Grimco offers just as an overview and, yeah. and what the services are. Well, Grimco is a, a large company. We have uh, facilities in the US, in Canada, Great Britain, and uh, we do some manufacturing. Uh, but for the most part, we're a wholesale distributor. Our primary uh, business is the sign and graphics industry. And about two and a half years ago, Grimco bought a company I worked for for decades called Midwest Sign and Screen. And the reason that Grimco bought Midwest was to get into screen printing. And I came in that transition. So having worked uh, at Midwest for so long, what kind of skills and what, what was kind of your daily workflow there? Well, that varied a lot over my career. So I started out... Um, a little bit, little bit of bio, I suppose. I started out uh, in college working a construction job, sat next to a guy who owned a sign company, ended up working for him because I could work indoors instead of outdoors. And this was in Colorado, so outdoors can be cold as hell or hot as hell. So made that transition over to uh, working for a sign company. Uh, sign company blew up, grew exponentially. Uh, we went from about three people to about 30 people in two years, and I ended up running uh, production for the uh, sign shop. So electrical signs, nothing to do with garment decoration. Uh, one of our vendors was Midwest Sign and Screen. And oh. when I had an opportunity to uh, make the switch, I made the switch. Came over and started doing technical support on computer installations, actual computers, and then uh, some of the early uh, vinyl cutting machines, uh, some of the early vinyl printing machines, and did that for a few years. And I can keep going on this if you want the whole bio. <laughs> please, please do. Because I'm <laughs> assuming so Gavin, I, uh, <laughs> Gavin yeah. ask him some of those deep questions about it, kind of working on business. You always love this stuff. Yeah. So, you know, once I, uh, I got over to uh, Midwest, that was a time when uh, computer-driven things for the sign industry were taking off. So whether it be inkjet printers like the old NCAD printers or the old uh, Aqueous HP printers, you know, Mamaki introduced a solvent printer, all those things were happening at the time. Uh, Gerber had their edge machine out. Uh, Gerber was making computer-driven routers for sign shops to be able to carve out whatever uh, designs they needed in, uh, in dimensional signs. Mm -hmm. And I got to learn all of that from software, firmware, hardware, uh, in terms of disassembling printers, reassembling printers, troubleshooting, all of that. So I did all of that for about uh, nine years. And then they uh, decided we had an opening for a garment rep. And they said, you know what? You don't know anything about screen printing. How about we just <laughs> make you do this? Yeah. And, uh, and I was actually happy to take on the challenge. So when I was uh, doing the technical stuff, I had a couple of years where I traveled about 40 weeks out of the year and 40 weeks out of 52 is a lot of travel. Yeah. So being able to uh, have a more local territory was great. So ended up with a territory that included all of Montana, chunks of Wyoming and, uh, and some of Colorado. And believe it or not, that was less travel. So, I mean, now that you're doing things in the apparel industry, what have you been seeing? I, I mean, we've been seeing like DTF and kind of the mm -hmm. rise of the different brands that are attempting to do 
inline DTG on a carousel, yep. um, like the rock hybrid and things like that. Yep. Are you seeing that transition kind of the same way you felt watching it with some of the, the plotter and signage becoming digitized? Are you seeing that now on that same trajectory? Or do you think that maybe some of those digital solutions can't quite ever hit that same volume and speed that we're seeing out of you know traditional automatic screen printing? I would say that's a yes to all of that question. Mm -hmm. uh, so yes, it is definitely transitioning very much like the sign industry did. It is going to take time though, because the digital solutions that exist today can absolutely have a very compelling ROI, but it is not replacing screen printing anytime real soon for some very practical reasons. Number one is very much like the sign industry. When all of this first came out and you first had the ability to use an inkjet printer to decorate rigid substrates, as opposed to the previous technologies, hand painting, which was still a thing when I started in the business, screen printing in the sign industry was a big thing. So if you think about uh, the uh, beer companies, for example, so Coors would have a printer that would make banners to distribute across the country. You drive past a, a liquor store, you'd see a banner hanging out there, advertising whatever Coors was advertising at the time. Those banners were almost all screen printed yeah. in volume, and they were all the same across the country because that was how you could do that screen printing. These days, independent Beer distributors will have their own sign shops. They'll print their own banners. They'll do a promotion specific for that particular liquor store, you know, and that's, that's just considered normal these days. Back then it was not, you know, a, a revolutionary thing almost was when vinyl cutters came out and they were able to put name drops on the pre-printed banners. So they would cut vinyl lettering out and stick it on the banners. I see the same type of thing happening on the garment decoration side where if you wind the clock back you know, 20 years, if you wanted to decorate a garment, you were going to screen print it. And that was yeah. pretty much the technology that was there. Uh, fast forward a few years and a brother introduced their GT541 and that aqueous printer direct to garment kind of changed the business. Now it was just a CMYK machine, but at least on light colored garments, you could have a one-off print. Mm -hmm. Uh, sublimation was tracking sort of along the same lines where that technology was coming out in a, an affordable way at the time that the, the GT 541 was coming out. So similar time frame. the GT 541 was somewhat revolutionary, uh, in that it was the first, in my opinion, the first production printer that could print on a garment and you could have a really good ROI and it was a very consistent machine. It didn't fail very often, as opposed to some of the uh, the older uh, machines that uh, people had kind of cobbled together. Yeah, those Frankenstein. Which, yeah, the Frankenstein's. Yeah. They just they didn't do very well. That was sort of tracking along the same lines on the sublimation side. Uh, the first sublimation printer install I did was for a uh, garment company called uh, Pearl Izumi that still is uh, very active in the cycling gear. And that sublimation printer, I think, went in about 1997. And it was an NCAD with third-party inks, and uh, it did a decent job. And that changed their world because they could sample what they wanted to do. Mm -hmm. So they didn't use it for production, but they used it for sampling. So that was really the first connection I had to uh, that kind of technology for garment decoration. Mm -hmm. Fast forward to today... And we're seeing a similar transition with DTF. And we're also seeing a similar growth pattern with DTF. 
So, uh, you know, you mentioned the Frankenstein machines, right? And Cole, yeah. you are so right on because, uh, the first generation of DTF machines were pretty much that, yeah. you know, They're pretty bad. Yeah. And, uh, and still to this day, I would say 80% of the machines that are out there, you could tag them with that. You know, it's going to be a printer that somebody has assembled from component parts that they find and a base machine that's available out there to turn into whatever printer you want, you know? Yeah. And so they'll source, uh, oftentimes, uh, printers are using, for example, Epson's DX7 printhead in right. these printers. Well, Epson, for the most part, is not selling those printheads to the printer manufacturer. Epson doesn't do that. So what they're doing is they are getting pirated heads, print heads. So oh. they'll they'll buy some inexpensive desktop printers and literally get them to get the ink handling system out of those to then put in these Frankenstein printers. Wow. Okay. And it's it's and interesting. Are those DTF printers that are selling for like for like ten grand, or are those like very low end ones? What what it, it level runs, of printers are doing gamut. that? Yeah, it really runs the gamut. So, huh. so a lot of those uh, you'll find are not necessarily endorsed by the folks who manufacture the component parts is a good way to say that. So when you find one that's got a name brand you recognize on the printer, the situation's a bit different because at that point, those larger companies have to have agreements to obtain the components that they use to manufacture the printers. So what DTF printers are you guys offering that you're that you're feeling like the quality is there? And also like what kind of output are they accomplishing in, in a day? Two very different questions, but uh, the answer to the first one is uh, we sell a couple of printers from a company called STS Inks out of Florida. And STS is first and foremost an ink manufacturing company. And they uh, got into DTF because they had been asked to make DTF inks. And what they were finding in the machines that were available at the time is they couldn't get the performance that they thought you should have out of a machine that's doing this. So the ink was not terribly complicated for them to, to figure out and manufacture. They've been doing it for decades. So an aqueous ink, they know more about aqueous ink than I think any other group of people I've, I've ever met. Uh, so they, they really understand that part. What they figured out though, is that for DTF to be successful, it's uh, several different parts. It's obviously the ink, it's the film and the coating that's on the film. And it's the TPU powder that you use. And in order for the ink to work in an inkjet printer, it has to meet certain qualifications that sometimes go against what you'd love to have if you're putting down, for example, a huge flood coat of white onto uh, the backing of this, this transfer that you're doing. So it's not the easiest thing to figure out. And they decided because of that and because of the relationships that they have with printer manufacturers that they would do their own. And they ended up partnering with Muto as a, uh, I don't know if licensing is really the right word, but an approved solution that uh, Muto supports, Muto trains on it, uh, Muto provides technical support as necessary on the printers themselves because they've endorsed that solution. Uh, Muto's printers are using the Epson DX7 head, but it is something that they do in other printers that Muto builds uh, with uh, Epson's endorsement and approval, if you will. So they have a formal partnership to buy the print heads from Epson, to uh, manufacture their printers, put them in the uh, the Muto printers, 
And then uh, through STS, they offer this uh, DTF solution. And uh, Grimco waited uh, several years. You know, it's not like we didn't see DTF out there, but we wanted a solution that uh, we knew was manufactured to the standards that our customers would expect. So uh, one of the things that we also liked about the solution that uh, STS was able to offer is they have a 48-inch shaker and 48-inch film, and they are using a 64-inch printer from Muto to produce transfers. That works well for production shops. So for production transfer houses where, you know, you can go online and say, I want 40 of these, uh, they can run those on this level of system pretty quickly. It depends a lot on how you set the printer up in terms of what throughput you're going to get, but it's uh, not unreasonable to get, you know, at least a hundred transfers an hour. Obviously it depends on oh, the, wow. the size of the transfer. You right, know, right. How, how big is it? If it's a full front, you're not going to get that. Right. But if it's, you know, something that is left chest, you're going to get a whole bunch of them. I know that we, uh, we, we run rocks here at the shop. Yeah. And so uh, you started telling me that you could start helping with rock and servicing rock. When did you start having rock available? We'll just talk a little bit about the transition to start there. You know, Midwest Sign and Screen signed on with MNR as, I believe, their first distributor. So this goes back to the very early days of MNR. And part of the reason was that they were revolutionizing how garments got decorated. And that was great. And MNR grew like crazy. And we went along for that ride. And it was a good relationship with MNR throughout my career. We had, you know, like any organizations that do business together, you occasionally have some bumps in the road. Uh, those, those were always things that we worked through, took care of customers. And uh, frankly, uh, both companies benefited quite a bit. When Grimco bought Midwest, we went from having 10 locations doing screen printing to now having just in the U.S. 55 locations. And it's uh, not in every single state. Sorry, Wyoming. We're not there yet. But uh, we are in a lot of the states in the country. And we are within a day of just about everybody in the country shipping you know, UPS. So when Grimco bought Midwest, one of the discussions that uh, we had was with M&R and about the future of the relationship and what we needed to be able to do in the future. And it was pretty clear cut for Grimco that after a period of time, we needed to be able to sell uh, our product offering nationwide and not try to restrict that. I would tell you that I'm thrilled that we signed on with Rock. I see uh, what Rock is doing in the marketplace to be similar to what MNR did uh, in its early days, in that they are nimble, they are responsive, they are easy to work with, and uh, and overall, it's a good group of people. I do like where Rock is going, getting back to digital, getting back to where's the in- where is the industry going. Yeah. I like where they are going as we move forward into technology. Did you want to uh, jump in with some questions about? about business and and workflow well i don't know if it's about business and workflow i'm always more curious about like what's happening in in the mind right so i ran a rock shop i had a couple of rocks in my shop end up Mm -hmm. selling that business right so all throughout this whole thing for me as the entrepreneur i'm feeling a whole bunch of bumps and bruises along the way as i'm growing my business what i'm hearing from you right is man you're going over here 
learning this, you're going over here learning this. Now you're a uh, territory manager learning this, which I happen to think is really the best way to sell because you know your product or you know the industry, right? Uh, so I would say out of like your whole journey throughout your, however long you've been doing this, what's been your favorite part in this whole thing? Yeah, I don't like to tell people it was coming up on 30 years. So, <laughs> but you started, you started when you were 10. Yeah, so. yeah, I started young. Yes. Uh, well, part of the, one of the interesting parts of my journey was uh, I had a, a territory, as I told you, doing uh, garment decoration sales uh, in the uh, Rocky Mountain West. And uh, it became apparent that one of the needs at Midwest was to have somebody professionally manage the product offering across the board. And uh, I somehow managed to learn things about products, regardless of what it is. People tell me that I have product processes just in my head that make sense all the time. And that's, that's kind of the case. For whatever reason, manufacturing processes just make sense to me. So yeah. I can you know understand how those work and how the products relate to that. So for my last eight or nine years at Midwest, uh, I managed all of the products. So whether it was sign and graphics, digital, uh, screen printing, whatever it was, that all rolled up to me. And that led me to the opportunity to work with the manufacturers of the products across the board. And I learned so much by doing that because I'd seen it from the customer standpoint. I'd seen it from uh, certainly on the sign side uh, standpoint from doing the work, but to then understand it from the manufacturing standpoint was fascinating. And I learned a lot. And that yeah. I just would say that that's what's made it uh, very comfortable for me to see how technology is affecting the garment decoration side of the industry, uh, because yeah. I have the perspective from the sign side, but also because I understand a lot of the base technology that is going into this. So, you know, how are the droplets expelled out of the print heads uh, for an inkjet printer? And what's that look like when you increase the viscosity of the ink like you need to do for garment? And you need a lot more volume to go on a really porous T-shirt than you need to put it on a vinyl decal, you know? Right. So the amount of ink that has to come out of these print heads is extraordinary in comparison. Just understanding that background technology has made a big difference for me. And that's that's how I can walk into a shop, I don't care what size it is, and be comfortable in the shop. One more little note, and this is sounding an awful lot like an egotistical ad. In a public position, right? And a public-facing position. Uh, this is more, actually, I'm just curious to learn, and this is probably going to help me out a little bit. Running a uh, professional sales organization like you are right now, and I know a lot of screen printers, garment decorators struggle with that side of the business because mm -hmm. it's just orders coming in, they taking in the order, right? There's yep. not really like systematic way of doing it or a whole strategy behind it. What have you seen work for you? Just like building out your like your well, first building your confidence in sales, and two making it where it's like a professional sales. Uh, career that, that you've built, what have you done? I had a lot of help. So first and foremost, I had uh, people that were great examples, you know, and folks that I could turn to. So that was number one. Number two was uh, really the willingness to put myself in difficult situations or uncomfortable situations. So uh, I ended up with a hobby job and it was various different hobby jobs for a little town in Colorado called Bennett. And 
I ended up on the town board, which is like the town council, and did a couple stints there. Uh, did a stint uh, doing the, um, oh my God, what do we call it? The, uh, the review, basically, of all of the developments that would go in. Okay, so that type of thing. So planning commission was the word I was looking for. Uh, so yeah, on the planning commission, uh, working on all of that, and all of those things were public facing, and that was difficult for me. But I learned how to speak fairly comfortably in public, and from a personal development standpoint, that was the biggest thing for me was to be able to put myself out there. Yeah. Uh, so I highly recommend that. Uh, so surround yourself with great people, put yourself out there, make yourself uncomfortable and learn by doing that. I, I guess I would add to that. The third part is just learning the business you're in from bottom to top. Know how to clean a screen and know what the right way is to clean a screen. Uh, one of the things I see in, um, and that's an example, by the way, it's I'm not all that passionate about cleaning screens. <laughs> I don't want Cole to put me to work over here. One of the things that I see is you end up with, in every shop, little and small, you can end up with some bad habits because it becomes the word of mouth training with the staff. So small shops, big shops, just learn the back end of the business. And I know as an entrepreneur, that is a very difficult thing to do because you have finance to learn, you have the accounting to learn, you have banking, you have customer relations, you have uh, website development, all of these things to learn. But I think if the core of your business is manufacturing a product, know how that works first and put the processes in place to make that as efficient as you can and then stick with your process. Don't change your process just because, you know, stick with the process. If you're going to make a change, know why you're making it. Yeah, I think I think that's great advice. Um I'm personally terrible at outside sales. Um, I'm okay if somebody says they want to come in for a meeting and then I can like answer their questions. But I always just feel obnoxious if I reach out to somebody and say like, hey, I want to print your stuff. Yeah. And then uh, you, when you approached us, it's amazing how many people come in here and I'm like borderline annoyed that they walked in because it's always unannounced and they always have like one random shirt to show me. Somehow you made that work. So I'd love to know a little bit more about with outside sales, how you try to not just make it a cold intro, but mm -hmm. you try to make it feel like you're offering them something that will make their business work better. And then alongside that, if there's any like software tools, like a specific CRM or a specific mm -hmm. um, just kind of order flow that you're always following to ensure that the customer gets the goods quickly. I'd love to know those kind of details about sales. So as an introvert, the most difficult thing I ever have to do is pick up the phone and call somebody that I don't know. And the reason is if you're in person, you can pick up on visual cues, you know, watch yeah. the other person, figure out how they're reacting, what they're thinking just by how they respond to you. When you're on the phone, you get none of that. You right. get a little bit of the voice and sometimes you can pick up cues from that, but it's yeah. a lot more difficult. So, uh, for me, you know, I know people who are extroverts who pick up the phone and call anybody and everybody and, you know, have a conversation about anything. I struggle with that. So that is my Achilles heel as a salesperson. So, you know, Cole, when we met, part of the reason I wanted to walk in and just part of my strategy for growing Southern California 
garment decoration sales for Grimco is we had very few customers in this market. Midwest closest location was up in the Bay Area. But my strategy really was to go around to every shop I could find and physically visit and meet people and talk to people. And at least then, uh, and this is, this is self-serving because this is for me then, when I would make that phone call, I could at least know who I'm talking to. I know what the shop looks like. I know who I'm talking to. The other part of that then is I can, as one person in a market of three or four or 500 screen printing shops, I can only spread myself so thin. So I get to also choose a little bit, you know, who's responding to my message. And if somebody's not responding to my message, which is to your question, Cole, I try to let people know that I've done this for a while and I can usually help them with some small part of the business. And that's really all I ask to do. I don't mind going into a shop and spending a couple of hours and consulting for free and say, this is what I've seen work. This is, these are the processes that I know work. This is what you might mm -hmm. want to try in your shop. So I try to do much more of the value added selling as opposed to the column and column and column and column until they finally give up and order something from you. Right. You know, uh, it's, it's not my approach. Uh, and I might be more successful selling a volume of stuff doing that, but I certainly wouldn't be as happy doing it. And, yeah. and so when you get contacted by a client, I mean, I, I don't know if you want other people to do this, but I'm just texting you orders. <laughs> so maybe that's not what you want to encourage. But, you know, what is the workflow so that uh, the orders are getting processed? And is there even like a CRM involved or are you handling a lot of that just by filling out order forms that are created for the like the sales invoice? How does that work when somebody is ready to buy? Well, it's, it's actually fascinating at Grimco. Uh, coming from Midwest, I got to see behind the scenes of a lot of the development of our IT systems, our ERP systems, CRM, you know, our outbound marketing efforts, our online marketing efforts, uh, you know, how to use SEO properly to uh, get some business for the company, right? right. Uh, come over to Grimco, I'm in a completely different role. And what I can appreciate, though, is how much of that is done and how much of that is done very well. One of the superpowers that Grimco has is uh, several years back, Grimco was using a, uh, an ERP platform. So the platform that the software that the company really runs on, it manages the finance and inventory and billing and all of that. ERP platform is very robust, but to make changes to it was challenging. So what did Grimco do? Bought the company that wrote it. <laughs> there you go. So that's it. They bought the company. They said, look, we, we need to be really good at this programming thing. So let's just buy the company. So they did. So yeah. bought the company. So now we have our own team that writes all of our software. Hmm. So going to the, uh, the question of, you know, how does the order get processed? Uh, we're actually in a little bit of a transition now. We still run the same ERP software as the base for everything. But what we're doing is we're putting interfaces on top of that for mm -hmm. the customers to order on the website. And if you haven't been to Grimco's website, this is the advertising part. <laughs> uh, it's a very robust website. It yeah. can do about as much as you'll see on a website like Amazon in terms of order history and getting invoices, getting um, statements, any of those sorts of things that you would want to do, returning items, all of that is available on the website. And that's all custom programming that we've done to optimize what we can do for our business. 
Uh, same thing with our CRM. So on the back side, uh, we have a CRM system that is also integrated into our ERP system that's integrated into our website where we can see how customers are responding to things, where we can we actually use our CRM system to place orders if we want to. So, nice. you know, Cole, if you, if you send me an order, I actually have a choice. I can use the backend ERP system, hmm. which has uh, clunky, ugly looking old interfaces, uh, or I can use the browser-based uh, CRM system that we've developed to place the order. And that is really one of the biggest strengths of Grimco is just being able to make changes quickly and adapt to the market quickly and adapt to employee needs quickly. So I've seen just, uh, i just give you an example. In the last two months, I've seen uh, three implementations, re-implementations of our CRM system with additional features. And they're sizable additional features. So yeah. this is growing very quickly and growing all the time. So I am stunned at how fast we can respond to needs from a technology standpoint. So I love that. Yeah, I mean, um, Gavin can probably speak to this a little bit better because you're building your own platform for SEPs. Gavin, what's your experience been with building software and kind of how to optimize your own order flow? Do you have any additional questions on that? So my experience with it, I'll say I, in some ways, I lucked out because I got a base and what I had to do was add the additional, just add on to it. So that made it a lot easier, but it also is a little bit difficult working with remote, with a remote team of developers that's not in-house and you have to kind of manage just that whole thing whenever you need something. My whole uh, philosophy when it comes to any online tool anyway, is to try to keep it as simple as possible anyway, right? So our whole thing for our customer is to just kind of make the experience super easy for them and make our internal team. It's really a project management tool. I could have just used a simple project management tool from out the box if I really wanted to, if you really think about it. But I, I really wanted something custom. But the challenges is working with remote with a remote team of developers that you don't have a long relationship with. It's kind of hard, right? If you have the relationship for a long time, then you could kind of like almost communicate in code without it. <laughs> right? And they could really like, uh, they could kind of get what you're trying to do and they understand what the business is. But when you have to explain what the business is, explain what problem you're trying to solve, explain how it's going to be uh, internally, what we need internally, explain what the customer needs and not overwhelm the customer, that it's it's tough. It's really tough. But uh, I think I'm, we're... I'm happy with what we got and uh, we could build more on top of it if we need to. So I uh, kind of building off of that, do you guys have an internal structure for making suggestions to this tech team that is going to be making advancements? And how do you do that without just constantly complaining? <laughs> well, there's, there's two parts to that. Uh, the first part is that uh, the folks that are on the development team, they really want the feedback. Okay, so if something's not right, they want to know it, and they want to know it as fast and as detailed as possible. So uh, we actually use Atlassian uh, okay. as our platform uh, to lodge a ticket, and you know that that system works really well. It's very simple for somebody like me to uh, say, "I ran into this. Here's what I experienced. Here's what happened." And I've used it uh, twice in the last day to give an example of how frequently and how much feedback you know 
do we give to the development team? So I, I did a ticket yesterday because we had a, um, a credit card that would process correctly through our back end ERP system, but would not process correctly for the customer. And it kept kicking back. We were able to determine uh, through that ticket system uh, that it actually is an issue with their card. And so what we were asking for uh, internally was simply zip code verification. What we require on the website is both zip code and CVV verification to both match. And that helps to reduce fraud quite a bit. Right. But I put in a ticket because I didn't know why it was working one way and not working the other way. And uh, it took, I don't know, less than 25 minutes or so business time. I actually put the ticket in about six o'clock last night. But in, uh, you know, when I got into work this morning, uh, the answer was there and it had happened very quickly. Yeah. Uh, and the answer was basically just what I said. You know, we required more on one side. So I was able to give the customer the feedback that, you know, you might want to contact the bank because something seems to be weird with your CVV. And, uh, and I had him on the phone. He's reading it to me. So I know he's giving me the right CVV, right? right. But it's, it's that type of thing where we have a problem, we submit it, we get an answer, we get the answer to the customer. We take care of them that way very quickly. So, you know, from my perspective, I think it's great anytime you can speed answers to customers on any issue that they're having. So if they see something, the quicker you can get them a, an answer as to, okay, here's what happened. Here's why it happened. Here's how we avoid it. You know, here's what next steps are. I think that's always so much better. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so wrapping things up, if you could let people know how to get a hold of you and also just kind of the general contact info for Grim, yeah, let them know how they can get a hold of you. So getting a hold of Grimco is pretty easy. Uh, Grimco.com is the uh, the website, and you'll find contact information there. Uh, if you want to contact me directly, I always welcome that. And it is rich.pulliam, I'll spell that, P-U-L-L-I-A-M, at Grimco.com. Send me an email. Yeah, Gr Grimco, can you... I'm still trying to get a full picture in my mind. Like, what are some of the things? What are because I, I know you offer a lot of things, services, products. Like, list a few things that people get from you. Oh, sure. Yeah, we. Um, so I'm going to stick with garment decoration. So from an ink standpoint, uh, Aviant is our ink partner. We mm -hmm. carry Willflex and Union lines in Aviant inks, uh, in addition to their Infinite FX specialty inks and their Zodiac uh, silicone and um, water-based inks. From an emulsion standpoint, we have our own manufactured for us, and we also offer Kiwo and Yolano. And from equipment, we talked about rock, but uh, mm -hmm. Rimco is also a, a huge Hewlett-Packard distributor. So if anybody's looking for HP equipment, we have that. Uh, Epson, uh, Mamaki as well. So lots of big brands that we offer. And uh, we also offer some of our own brands. So I mentioned that we have our own emulsion. That brand is called Rise. And that is our screen printing products brand. And you'll see that we're going to offer more products in that brand. What we try to do with that brand is bring premium products at a better price to folks. I like that emulsion, by the way. Well, thank you. Yeah, I appreciate we, that. We started trying it like, what, three weeks ago, four weeks ago? And it's, it's working really well for us. We're getting nice burns and it's cleaning easily after, yes. which is kind of the perfect combination. We, uh, we spent, uh, it's funny, I started uh, developing those, the two emulsions we offer back when it was Midwest. Mm -hmm. 
And so those went through about two and a half years of development before we launched them. Wow. And we targeted uh, the needs of garment decorators with both of the emulsions. So both of the emulsions that we have, uh, one's a dual cure and one's an SBQ. We keep it nice and simple. But both of them will work with any ink that a garment decorator is working with. And for the most part, uh, you don't have to use a hardener if you're printing water base. Yeah, that's with these great. emulsions, which is, you know, it's that type of thing that we try to bring to the market, Gavin, is just how can we keep things simple, like you said, and uh, and make it such that it's, uh, you know, fully featured, it's going to work for just about everybody and at a good price. One of the things uh, about Grimco that makes it unique is we are across the country and we're the only distributor in this business that's truly across the country. We have brick and mortar everywhere. Yeah. And you know, Cole, you mentioned that uh, we get things to most customers in two days or less. And that is true. Uh, that is growing fast on the screen print side to be able to do that as well. Grimco is very focused on the logistics side of the business. Mm -hmm. And so what customers will see even more over the next two years is the ability for us to get product to almost everybody in one day. Yeah, I had, I'll tell my 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 DC story really fast. So I was um, doing live printing with little uh, Epson sublimation printers. And of course they broke because those little printers are like not really made for that kind of volume. Um, and we had done like 500 plus individual prints on them in one day. And so I broke one. I called you East Coast time at like four or maybe later. Mm -hmm. um, and you guys literally had the printer at the location at 10 a.m. the next morning. And it like blew my mind that you had a warehouse maybe 150 miles away from us and you were able to have a van dropping it off and like with a messenger helping. It was unbelievable service. Like there's an, I basically had no idea how to get the printer besides you guys somehow pulling it off. So, yeah, it is pretty incredible how you are able to service the entire country. That's uh, that is the goal. Well, thanks again for coming on uh, and, and all your expertise. Um, thanks so much for everyone listening and have a good day. Have a great day. Talk everybody. to you in the next one.